Well, this morning we are um, in the last week of our series of messages that we've entitled Survivor 2015. We've been studying the book of James, and it's been a great study. Um, I know I've heard from many of you and how that it's impacted your lives, and someone came in this morning and said, hey, now the last three weeks, I've kind of gotten hammered by James. What's going to happen today? I said, you're going to have to wait and find out. Uh, but uh, here, here's the good news. James is very strong. He's very direct about what he expects Christ followers how to live and to believe. Um, but he does that in a way that uh, gives us hope and promise to receive God's grace and to move in that grace. So uh, I, I just pray that today's message as we wrap up this series will uh, be helpful and meaningful to each and every one of you. Uh, so the context has been this tremendous uh, persecution, almost overwhelming persecution in the day that James was living. Uh, he was persecuted. The whole Christian church was under Nero and later Domitian and Diocletian, so it was an ongoing thing. And the people there had no rights, no privileges, no, uh, no ability to live, almost to survive. And in that context, James speaks these powerful words. And he begins by talking about uh, three uh, really complicated but uh, important words, testings, trials, and temptations. And so uh, he said that these testings and trials are going to happen to everyone. Everyone is going to experience those because we live in a broken world and because sometimes we do stupid things and because sometimes other people do stupid things. So uh, there's going to be these testings and trials in our world. And what what James promises is that Jesus will be in the midst of those while we're in them, and he'll be on the other side of those, of both. So uh, that was, and then he talked about temptation. And this is where James' real message started getting going. Um, James says that temptation is just this kind of thing out here. It's not, it's kind of amoral, it's just a temptation. But when you unite that or connect that with uh, your own strong desires, that's the phrase that James uses. And again, you can't blame God for, you know, that temptation. You can't blame Satan. Your own strong desires, and when those two things come together, and they're attached, and they grow together, uh, that union produces something, and that something that that union produces is always what? Sin. Okay, every time. And that sin, if it's given full uh, breadth and width in your life, if that's fully gestated in your life, that sin then leads to death. So James is very strong about this, that listen, this is life or death stuff. You need to listen because how you live your life, you say, I love Jesus, I hear about Jesus, I know Jesus, I know the Bible, I know the word, it's all up here in your head. But he said, if that doesn't get down to your heart and affect the way your hands work and your feet work and your mouth work, then it's not, then it doesn't matter. So he spends a couple of chapters talking about integrity, that um, what your heart believes will be seen in what your hands do, your feet do, and your mouth does. And he talks about uh, partiality or bias or prejudice. He talks about uh, using your tongue for, uh, for evil or for good. Um, and he talks about all of these things in the context of let's live a life of integrity. What we believe, let's see those things lived out in our lives. And then last week we talked about um, submission. Submission is a very complicated but powerful reality in the Bible. Um, in fact, uh, Paul, uh, in writing in the book of G uh, Romans, says it this way in Romans 6.16. He says this, Do you realize 
that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. (laughs) That puts the responsibility on us, right? Do you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Are you going to bend a knee to the earth? That's what we talked about last week. Or are you going to bend a knee to the sovereign Lord? It's your choice, okay? And then he goes on in Romans 6.16, you can be a slave to sin, it's your choice, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So we have this choice. How, we're going to submit to somebody, right? It's whether we submit to our sin, our, the earthly ways, the ways of the world, or we submit to the sovereign Lord. It's up to us. Sin unto death, obedience unto righteousness. It's up to us. So we have this choice of what we're going to do. And then James in James 3.17 says this, but wisdom, and we talked about wisdom two weeks ago, wisdom from above is first of all pure, it is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. So wisdom is not just knowing stuff. Wisdom is the right application of truth, the right application of knowledge. And we willingly yield ourselves or submit ourselves to that truth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like to submit ourselves to that truth, to submit ourselves to the sovereign Lord rather than bending a knee to the earth? So um, that phrase, willing to yield, it reminds me of a story. Uh, the captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Worried, he immediately told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, the return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, the captain was angered because, right, he's a captain and he thinks everybody should do what he says. So his command had been ignored. So he sent a second message and the second message said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Again, he received a response. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. (laughs) Immediately, the captain sent a third message knowing that this would really do the trick. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. The response that he received, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. Okay. Now, the first service didn't get that very well. So you guys are a little bit smarter than them. Maybe it's because you've already had brunch. We have a difficult time submitting to anybody, right? We have a difficult time submitting to anybody whether submitting to our spouse, submitting to authorities, submitting to God, we want to do our own thing. So that brings us to this um, amazing text in James chapter 4. Now, you will have noticed that um, there's a couple of short passages that we haven't talked about, and that's because we just ran out of time. We had seven weeks. This really needed 10 weeks to do all of the texts, but I tried to pick out the ones that were most uh, meaningful and germane to our Uh, discussion around this. So this morning we're going to look at our last text in James, James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. So you have it printed in your bulletins. It's on the screen. Please open your Bibles to James 4 if you have them, your iPhones, your iPads, your smartphones, whatever you have. uh, Turn to the Word of God because here's what I want to tell you is what? Thank you, Carrie. Uh, Carrie's always the loudest. And uh, read your Bibles. It's an incredible book. It will literally change your life. If you take it seriously, like we prayed earlier, if you're open to the Word of God, this is not just 
Shakespeare or Chaucer. This is the Word of God. This is the God-breathed Word from our Heavenly Father. And if you take this Word to heart and you listen to it, you believe it, you live it, it will change your life. So read your Bibles. So this is James chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, this is the Word of God for the people of God today. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, by the way, that's kind of what starts every war that's ever been known to mankind. Listen to that again. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. That's called war, right? Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And then he, James uses this very strong word. He said, you adulterers. Basically what he's saying is that you, are, you found another God. You found the God of this world to worship. You bent a knee to this world instead of bending a knee to God. He said, you can't do that. Adultery is giving your heart and your life and your soul to another. And he says, you can't do that, right? So don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? So he's saying, listen, it's your choice, but if you bend a knee to the world, you are not bending a knee to God. Okay, that's what he's saying there. And he gives grace, excuse me, let me pick it up there. They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. We should be faithful to God, right? And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. <laughs> he will lift you up in honor. So he's saying, listen, if you bend a knee to the world and you have come to believe that the world will satisfy your soul, you have come to the belief that everything that the world has to offer, money, sex, power, position, authority, all the things that the world says, this is what will give you a substance. This is what will give you meaning in life. If you've come to believe that and it has failed over and over and over again, he said, you've got another choice. And that's to bend a knee to the Father. But don't think you can do both. Don't think you can be divided. You can't have a divided heart. You can't say, well, you know, I want a little bit of God, you know, but I want a little bit of the world. And when most people do that, you know, that it just tears you apart. And God says, you can't do that. You've got to say, you've got to decide, what am I going to do? Bend a knee to the world or bend a knee to the sovereign Lord. Here James deals with two key issues in regard to submission. We talked about submission last week. The first thing is this. What are the natural consequences of bowing a knee to the earth? Bending a knee to the earth. In other words, what are the consequences of submitting to the world? And the second question we're going to look at today is this. If we choose to submit to God, if we truly choose to bend a knee to the Father, what does that look like and what are the natural consequences 
of that. So let's look at those two questions as we wrap up our series today. Number one is this, consequences of bowing or bending a knee to the earth. Last week we looked at um, the, the fact that we have tried to fulfill our lives with the stuff that the world says, this is what really matters. And it fails. In fact, Solomon said it this way in chapter 2, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes. He said, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Solomon submitted to wine, to sex, to great houses, to great crops, to gold and silver. All the world had to offer. He submitted to, the, to all of that, to the very best, the most, the shiniest, the newest. But then in Ecclesiastes 2.11, he said, But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. Isaiah said it another way. Isaiah said, it, said that it's like dust in your mouth. You think that this designer bait that's coming in front of your nose, okay, now that is food, right? That's going to be delicious. That thing the world has to offer, that, but it's not food, it's bait. And when you, you know, chomp onto that, when you bite into that, you discover it's not food, it is bait, but by then it's too late. Be very careful, James is saying. Be very careful. Because Solomon had everything the world had to offer. He bent a knee to the world. And then he discovered that everything he tried to do and experience was filled with nothing but emptiness, with literally uh, uh, sand in your mouth. When you search everywhere for fulfillment, when you press into what the world says, this is going to work, this is what's going to make you happy, and then when it doesn't, where does that leave you? The text says that it leaves you with this sense of anger and bitterness. What the, Lord, the world told me that if I pursued this, that then I would be happy. Uh, the world told me that if I go this way and experience these things, that that's what's going to really satisfy my soul. And then when you don't get that, you become angry. Now, sometimes you're angry with yourself, and so I'm going to try harder and get more stuff. Sometimes you're angry with other people, right? Well, they're in the way of me getting what I want. And then sometimes we're angry at God, we literally are angry at God, and we, the Bible says that's when we have these ceaseless wars. We have wars with ourselves, with others, and with God, these ceaseless wars. Verse 1 of our text says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desire at war within you? That evil desire, oh, here comes the designer bait, here's the temptation, and when our own strong desires clamp onto that temptation, uh, that gives birth to sin. James says there's another way. There's another way. Now, that other way has to do with submission or bending a knee to the Father. I wanted to use this analogy uh, of a marriage. Now, um, it's not a perfect analogy, but throughout Scripture, God has this love relationship with His people, with you and I, and He uses that kind of like, and it talks about marriage that we are the bridegroom, he is the bride. And so it works here. So here's the analogy of marriage. So you get married, and uh, you have these expectations, right? Um, in fact, uh, in Ephesians 5, which is, by the way, a wonderful chapter on marriage. If you ever want to know about marriage, you can read Ephesians chapter 5. But what most people do, and I've, I was raised, some of you are old enough to remember, I was raised in the 70s and the 80s, or I was raising my family then, when I, there was all this talk about wives should be submissive to their husbands, okay? 
Well, there's some truth to that, but that's only half of the story. The real story is Ephesians 5.21, and this is the umbrella text over Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But back in the 70s, I bought into this idea that somehow Sherry was supposed to be submissive to me. So we got married in 1970. The first time we had a big argument, a few months into our marriage, you know, I was getting frustrated with her because she was making sense and I didn't like that at all. And so I got, and I said, well, listen, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. Well, that didn't go over very well. Just didn't go over well at all, you know. And so we had to work that out. And as she pointed out this passage, you know, back in the 70s, it was the Bill Gothard weird stuff and how that women are supposed to be submissive to their husbands. It's ridiculous and it's not biblical. But here's this idea that I thought I believed and I was using. No, no, no. Here's what it is. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you approach your spouse with uh, this kind of love and generous heart, when you approach your spouse with this absolute commitment, with this covenant relationship, this I promise unconditionally to love you kind of relationship, guess what? That spouse wants to be submissive to you. And the other spouse wants to be submissive to you. That's the way it works. It's not this thing like this. It's this thing like this where, listen, we're both submitting to Christ and we submit to each other out of love and reverence. This works spiritually as well because we come to God like this with our expectations. God, give me this. Give me that. Give me that. I have my expectations. You've got to give me what I want. That's not a marriage. That's, that's a relationship like a cosmic Santa Claus. That's not a committed I will do anything for you kind of a relationship. So women and men have different expectations, right? I mean, we all know that. All the research tells us that. Men basically, and you know, our kids are in there, so they're not going to hear this. Men basically, sexual intimacy and friendship are the number one and two things in most men that they have. For women, it's different. It's emotional intimacy and it's safety or security. So you have these different expectations. When Sherry and I got married, we were very young. I was 21, just graduated from college. She was 19. But we had these expectations, both of us, that this is the way the other person is. So even on our honeymoon night, I, I'm not going to go into details, but our honeymoon night, you know, Sherry wanted to pray and talk. I didn't want any of that stuff, right? So we had different expectations and they collided, right? And, and, but instead of me saying, you know, I want to submit to you, I want to submit to you out of love and reverence for Christ and for you, You're, I adore you, I worship you, you are the most important thing in my life and I approach you that way. God wants that relationship with him. God, not this, what are you going to give me, God? And when you don't give me what I want, you give me a beat up Chevy instead of a Mercedes, but I'm your, a child of the king, you know? I should have a Mercedes. And we always come to God like this, give me, give me, give me. That's not the relationship he's looking for. He's looking for this covenant, love, respectful, other-centered relationship where we get rid of what the text says, our own selfish desires. When we do not submit to God, but we submit to the world, we're just wanting stuff from God. God, just keep me out of hell. You know, just give me fryer insurance. Just keep me out of God, just give me heaven. You know, we just want stuff from God instead of this passionate love relationship. That's why God says, I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you. I don't want you worshiping some other God. That's why he uses the word adultery. It's a powerful word. I don't want you worshiping some other God. There is real danger here when the Bible says in our text that when we become friends with the world. Now, let me tell you what that, that means in the original language. Friendship with the world, it comes from the word philia, and it means to embrace or to have a settled affection 
or a determined attachment. So friendship is not just, by the way, we're supposed to be friends with all people. This is not friends with people. This is friends with the world, with their values, uh, with the structure of the world. We're not supposed to be friends with that. So, but we have this, we embrace this. I've come to believe that, uh, you know, money, sex, and power will be satisfy me. I've come to believe that. I've come to embrace that. I have this subtle affection or this determined attachment. And the danger here is that we have embraced the world's values. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying what the world has to offer. The world has some amazing things to offer, and we're supposed to enjoy that. But it's not supposed to take the place of God. <laughs> we're not supposed to embrace it where it takes the place of God. That's what friendship with the world instead of friendship with God. And James uses a very strong word to talk about that. He says it's adultery. Because, because here's the deal. Adultery is not just about sex or about another God. Adultery is about embracing someone else rather than your wife or your husband. It's about intimately connecting your life and your heart and your soul with them. That's why adultery is so wrong in a marriage or in uh, the realm of the spiritual life. When we connect our lives, we embrace, we have this subtle affection, this determined attachment to another God, bend a knee to the world, that's when we can no longer be friends with God. And he says, when you do that, you'll be filled with ceaseless conflict. Ceaseless conflict. We're always trying to get something for ourselves, and if somebody else is in our way, we want that other thing. It's like two ticks with no dog. They constantly suck the life of each other. We're always wanting something that somebody else has. Live in conflict with God. James 4.4 4 says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God because God is jealous for you. He jealously desires life for you. That is bending a knee to the world. But thanks be to God, we may choose to bend a knee to the sovereign Lord. How do we do that? Well, this is fascinating in the text because the last verses, 7 through 10 of chapter 4, um, James ticks off seven verbs or phrases. It says, here's a pathway. It's, it's not trickery. It's not three steps to a happy life, those kind of things. But it's, it, this is kind of the way that you move towards God and towards bending a knee to your sovereign Lord. This is how you do it. And these are active words. These are verbs. And so those seven words are as follows. Submit. Resist. Come close. Wash. Purify. Grieve, which means to grieve or mourn over your sin, and humble yourself. So all of this can be summed up in the words authentic repentance. Now, most of you who are Christ followers, been around the Bible, you know what repentance is. So this is what repentance is, for those of you who are new. Repentance is, I am bending a knee to the earth. I have I've somehow, in my life, I have come to believe that this is going to satisfy me, that all that the world has to offer will satisfy me, but yet when I get it, I don't have enough. And so repentance says, okay, I'm no longer believing that this will satisfy me. I'm believing that only God will satisfy me. It's a 180. It's a completely opposite direction. It's turning away from bending a knee to the world and bending a knee to the Father. This is authentic repentance. And this authentic repentance, we find these seven verbs in this great text. The first one 
is submit. It means to align yourself under someone else's authority. Now, we kind of chafe at that, don't we? Uh, there are times in my life when I absolutely submit to my wife. Absolutely. For the circumstances in our marriage and our relationship, there are things that she knows and does and believes that are better than me, and I absolutely submit to her authority in those areas. And she does the same thing with me. This is where we choose, make a choice to absolutely submit to the authority of God. I voluntarily align my life Instead of with the things of the world, I'm not kind of one foot in, one foot out. I voluntarily align my will with the will of the Father. That's submit. The next one is resist the devil. In your NIV, in the NLT, it says resist the devil. A better word, I think, for that uh, in some of the other translation is the word reject. See, there's a difference between resisting the devil and rejecting the devil. Resisting the devil looks like this. Uh, devil, leave me alone. I don't want you. Stay away from me. You know, saying, no, I'm pushing back. Reject says, get out of here. Leave me alone. I don't want any part of you. I'm turning my back on you. That's kind of the strong, powerful reject. I remember my dad used to tell me when I was a kid, he said, if you get yourself in a position where you're in trouble with something, with a moral decision, and you want to decide for God, he said, run. <laughs> Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He said, you got to run. Sometimes you have to run. Just run. Like Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? He said, you run. You don't stay around. You don't wait. You just get out of there. So it's not just resisting the devil. Oh, leave me alone. It's stay away from me by the power of God. In Jesus' name, stay away from me. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to bend a knee to the Father, and I'm no longer to bend a knee to the world. That's what it means to resist the devil. And then the next one is so beautiful. It says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Let me, when I was studying this, it was so beautiful because this nuance I found in the text which just really ministered to my heart. So come close to me. Here's what it means. So you're deciding, okay, I'm not going to face, I'm not going to bend your knee to the world anymore. I'm going to bend your knee to God because I turn around, I reject my past, and here, here's what come near to me means. It means as soon as you have enough faith to lift your foot off of the ground, to even start to think about taking a step towards God. As soon as you do that, listen, God comes rushing towards you. As soon as he sees that seed of faith in you that just gives you the ability to just maybe take one half a step, a millimeter towards God, the Bible says he comes rushing towards you. It's prodigal son. Prodigal son is walking back home with shame and guilt, of course, Walking back, the Bible says the father saw him from a long way off and he ran to meet him. Those of you that have little babies, we have a lot of babies these days in our church. Good job, keep it up. Okay, so we have a lot of babies. And these babies are awesome. But sometimes, and we always, you know, almost every week we hear about, okay, my, my, my son or my daughter started walking. You know, somewhere between 9 and 14 months, kids start walking. So, so here's a mom and dad and they stand their baby up there, a 10-month-old baby, and they're kind of like this and I said, come on, come on to daddy, come on to mommy. And you know the routine, you've done it. As soon as that baby takes one step towards mommy, the mommy just kind of falls apart and just kind of embraces, oh, you're so wonderful. You're the most remarkable baby that's ever been on the planet of earth. And you walk better than anybody. And it's just this, oh, that's the way God is towards you. That's the way God is towards you. He doesn't, he doesn't stand here like this and say, okay, I'm going to wait. As soon as he sees you take one little step of faith towards him, he comes rushing towards you. 
That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Come close to God and He will come close to you. Wash your hands literally means change your behavior. Wash your hands means this. Turn around. Turn your back on it. Okay? Purify your hearts. It means that you decide not to attach yourself, right? Your own strong desires. You're not going to attach that to a temptation. God says, I... I, I, I will not share you with anyone. I desire you that much. Purify your hearts. Deep grief. Deep grief is, you know, like from uh, the Beatitudes in Romans 5 too. You know, that we're, we literally have a broken heart for our sin. When I was um, uh, out of the ministry because of my gambling addiction, I was, I, I'd been trying to deflect and blame other people. I knew I was wrong and all that. But there was one moment when I was driving a, a car, I pulled over the side of the road, and I had this deep sorrow and sadness and broken heart. And I just prayed out to God. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. That's the moment that I repented. I'd said sorry before. How many times have we done that? You see your kids do that. They say sorry just so they can have the popsicle, right? They say sorry so they can eat their dinner now. You know? but, but, but when you have that deep sorrow that I have hurt God, and I have hurt me, and I have hurt my wife, and I have hurt my kids, and I have hurt my church. That is deep grief, a broken heart, poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 2. And the final thing is humble. You have done the work of repentance, genuine, authentic repentance, and now you bend a knee to the Father. That's what it means to submit. And do you know what, you know what it says when it says when you... Uh, when, when you are bowed down, when you are humbled before God, then it says, he will lift you up, how? In honor. He will lift you up in honor. Last week we talked about this, this picture of a king and having a, a new soldier stand before the king who's going to uh, be anointed, uh, uh, you know, an officer, uh, a soldier. And so the king takes his sword or his scepter and he touches his shoulders and then the king says to that soldier, listen, all of my resources belong to you. My chariots, my horses, my troops, my weapons, all of my resources belong to you. Can you hear your heavenly father say that to you? Listen, you bow before the father. He says, listen, I anoint you as my child, as my servant, as my soldier. And all of my resources are yours. And then here's what, here's what happens. The king literally, either by grabbing his arm or putting his hand under his chin, the king raises up the soldier. He says, and now go and fight. Have you experienced that where you have bent a knee to the father? And he says, all of my resources are yours. I see your humble heart. I see all of these things that you are doing to bend a knee to the father. Now stand up in Christ. Stand up in Christ, tall in Christ, and you live your life fully for me. In 1849, there was uh, a man by the name, you've all heard of him, William Ernest Henley, who's been considered the uh, father of humanism. And William Ernest Henley wrote, um, he was from Gloucester, England, and he wrote a poem and you've all heard the poem dozens of times at high school and college graduations and, and commencement ceremonies. And that poem is, anybody remember? Invictus. Listen to what the father of humanism said to your students that are being, still being said, spoken to your students in high school and college. Out of the night that covers me, 
black as the pit from pole to pole. I think whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's what the world has been telling your students for 166 years. It's not true. A year later, Dorothy Day responded in 1850, and she wrote another poem, and this poem is entitled, My Captain. Out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be, for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since his the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under that rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him and his the aid, despite the menace of the years, keeps and shall keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate. He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed and eye closed. Father, that perfectly describes what it means to bend a knee to the, to the world or to bend a knee to the Father. Father, I'm absolutely convinced that this word is for us today in this room. And that there are lives here who have said, you know what, Pastor Duane, I, I have tried this all of my life. I have, I have believed what the world has told me. I, I've believed that um, you should hate your enemy, and I, I believe that I can do everything in my own power, and I, I've believed these lies, but now I, I recognize that those are like dust in my mouth. They're like the wind. They're here and gone. But this text today leads us to another choice. And that choice is, is to bend a knee to the Father, to the one true sovereign God. And so this morning, I'd like to invite you in this time of prayer to make a decision to choose. Some of you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. Some of you have never taken that, that step towards the Father, that, that one step that shows your heart is tender towards God. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to pray, to receive Christ, to experience salvation, and to know God's love. So if that's your posture of your heart this morning, I'd like you to join me in prayer. Don't pray out loud, just in the silence of your own heart. Everyone else praying. Lord, hear our prayer. Father, all my life I have tried the world's way. And it's always let me down. It's always failed me. And today, Lord, I, I, I am coming to believe that with a small, tiny step of faith, I want to step toward you. I want to ask by faith that Jesus Christ, your son who died for me on the cross, 
I want to ask that Jesus would become my Lord and my Savior, that he would enter my heart by faith, that he would give me forgiveness of sins, the future of a promise in heaven, and a life that can be lived with great abundance. So I invite Jesus into my heart and into my life. I bend a knee to the Father. I submit my life to him. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would love to know it so that I can pray for you. I'm just going to simply ask you in a moment to raise your hand and to look at me. No one else is looking around. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand and look up at me, please? Yes, God bless you, hon. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Lord, you've told us in Luke 15 that when one person gives their heart to Christ, all of the heavens rejoice and the angels sing. And we thank you, Father, for those voices we hear so clearly now. Lord, as a people of God, we desire to continually, not just once in a while, continually bend a knee to the Father. May you grant us the faith to do so. And Father, thank you for these lives who are now part of the kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.